Trust Bites. Hello and welcome to Trust Bites. I'm your host, Dr. Darren Detweiler. And as always, these are being brought to you by the fine folks at My Trusted Source, your digital solution for supply chain management, validation, and, and other uh, needs. You know, we have an advisory board here, and I'm so happy to be a part of it. And today with us is Chris Allison, one of our advisors. Chris, welcome. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for having me. Very, very happy to have you. But you know, uh, let me ask you first, it, for those in our audience who have no idea who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and where you came from? Sure, yeah. I'm a kid that grew up on a farm in the UK, and then somehow ended up in a career in banking technology. So I've spent the vast majority of my career working in tech in big banks, obviously a regulated industry and an interesting place to be in technology. And then got out of that around about 18 months ago and, and since been trying to take what I've learned from that career and apply it to different places. And one of those places in the food industry here with my trusted source. And another one is another startup that's related to environmental crime. But some similarities around supply chains, but a different end focus. Great. Well, thank you very much. And I can see how, you know, there's a lot of overlap in different areas. You know, there's obviously there's some elements that are very specific to a commodity, a sector, but some things are pretty much seen across. And I think that one kind of big category, if you will, is trust. Yeah, uh, We have trust in different industries. We have trust in different consumer or stakeholder needs. Let me ask you this. What does trust mean to you related to the food industry, the global food supply, if you will? Can I answer it a bit more broadly first? You know, it hits all parts of our lives and, and it kind of comes into this ESG conversation as well. So I guess the definition is some kind of willingness to, to be vulnerable based on a positive expectation about something or somebody or some service that you're about to receive. So back to my old industry, if I'm depositing money into a bank, I expect it to be there when I come back. I trust that the bank is not going to gamble with my money. Similarly, I don't trust the crypto exchange and SPF. And so I did not deposit my Bitcoin into FTX. And when I fly, I expect the planes to be maintained properly, that kind of thing. So, you know, in the food industry, obviously, I expect my, my trust when I go to a supermarket or a restaurant is that food has not been contaminated anywhere between the farm and my fork, right? Whether I'm buying something and preparing it myself or whether I'm sitting at a restaurant eating it at the table. So part of that is... You know, the, the main part of that trust, I think, is about the health, but it's also about the quality of the food, and it's about you know, the qualities of that food as well, if you like. Well, you know, someone in a recent conversation I had, and this is totally unrelated to food or this advisory board, and someone was talking about how to truly trust yourself, you don't need evidence. But to gain the trust of another person or to find trust in another person, there has to be some type of evidence. There has to be some way of conveying. And maybe that's where that vulnerability comes in, that idea of, you know, exposing the evidence 
to show that you can be trusted by yeah. someone else. What are your thoughts about that? This is why we have regulators, right, and in, in certain industries. But as a consumer, that's largely out of our hands, right? We can see standards and, and things written on labels, but largely we're trusting the industry or the regulators around an industry. So, you know, back in my old industry of financial services, this, it's incredibly regulated, right? And, and while you can outsource parts of your operations, and people do, you cannot outsource the accountability for that. So there's an expectation that you have full transparency into what's going on right through your supply chain, whether it's managing technology or managing settlements or whatever it might be in, the, in, in that industry. So as the end regulated financial institution, I have to understand exactly what my supply chain is doing and be constantly measuring them. And I think that has to be the same in whatever industry you're in, whether you're talking about aviation or food industry or whatever. So as a consumer, it's largely out of my hands, but I look to that next level up and, you know, back to the food industry, I also expect the big brands to be doing that for me. So if I'm shopping at Whole Foods or Carrefour or wherever, I expect them to have that level of diligence right through the supply chain, not just to have a trust in their distributor, whoever the distributor is for something. So if they're buying avocados that come from Colombia or something. I, I, I don't just want to know that the distributor in the United States has good practices. I want to know that everybody that's touched those avocados right through the farm has not just the right food practices, but the right ethical standards as well that I want to adhere to. Well, to your point, if someone has their brand on it, their label on it, they should not be, like you said, outsourcing accountability. They shouldn't be outsourcing responsibility. They should be continuing to essentially own that responsibility of the validity, the trust, the, you know, this certification, this process, this priority, whether it's a temperature thing or an ingredient or, or the lack of an ingredient, if that's what it says on the label. There's a lot of different ways in which that non-outsource accountability, non-outsource responsibility is what consumers are demanding. Yeah. And I guess this is the phrase that Reagan made famous in the late 80s, right? Trust but verify. And he took a Russian phrase, a Russian proverb, actually, and then turned it back on Russia as part of nuclear disarmament or nuclear control. And that's what we've all been doing in these industries ever since, is saying, you know, I want to trust you, but I will be verifying. I expect you to have full transparency through your supply chain, but I want to continuously verify that you're doing what you say you're doing. The days of us trading some foods with our neighbor, because we grow stuff on our farm, they grow different stuff on their farm, but you live next to them, you watch what they do, you know what they do, you have this inherent trust of this food that comes from your neighbor. Those kind of are pretty much far gone. We have so many different stakeholders and geography and even behaviors around food. It's not just retail and restaurant. We have 39 shades of retail, 39 shades of restaurant, people ordering things on apps, people having third-party delivery, even third-party shopping, you know, that these all complicate that amount of trust there. You're alluding to a volume thing as well there, right? So, you know, when we were all dealing around into, you know, personal relationships, whether it's for 
banking or buying food or swapping food with our neighbors. It's an interpersonal relationship. We know people, they can't afford their name to be dragged through the mud. So you could trust individuals there without necessarily verifying. And, and think about the old stock market. It is always the phrase. It was, my word is my bond. UK stock market was based on that principle. And while you knew everybody on the floors, that, that's fine. It could be, but volume, but you electronify those markets or you, in the food industry, get to a point where food is coming from all around the world. So as we've gone through this globalization, that interpersonal relationship disappears, the volume goes through the roof, and then it's impossible to have that level of trust in a supply chain through individuals. We have to do it through through proper verification. It's funny you bring up that the idea of relationship with who you're supposed to have trust in recently saw something where someone was kind of laughing at the remember the tv show brady bunch the brady bunch yeah. Remember that yeah. show? how alice had all these conversations with sam the butcher that she knew the butcher that she was always visiting the butcher and it's like well that's part of you know having that trust and knowing where you're getting your cuts of meat we don't see that today but we can go as far back as that era of that tv show that was kind of normal we didn't have so many steps in between and prepackaged and ready to eat as much as we have today. Yeah. And it starts to, in that case, affect that trust. Let's take another spin at this, this idea of trust. What happens when we lose trust? What are the outcomes and threats and weaknesses, if you will, when we lose trust within our food system? At the simple level, I guess it means that I'm switching the person I'm doing business with. So if I lose trust in, maybe I lose trust in a particular brand, let's say a dairy product or something or eggs, then maybe I stick with my supermarket and switch to a different brand of eggs or a different dairy manufacturer. But probably I'm going to lose trust, not just in that brand, but in the supermarket that I'm dealing with, right? Or the restaurant I'm getting these things from. So the impact is likely that I'm moving from that source to a different source. And not just that, but everybody that listens to me as well is hearing about that and starting to question whether they do the same. And that could be people I'm talking to in my immediate physical circle, but with social media, that could obviously be a much broader circle of people as well, depending on what my influence is and who's listening to me. It's very important to not only, as you've kind of described here, understand this, but I, I think that too many times you have decisions being made in industry where they're forgetting that factor. They're forgetting the the cost, if you will, of losing trust, the cost of negative actions and their consequences on uh, a reputation behind a brand name. But you can look at things in terms of, oh, economically we'll recover. Okay. But how do we account for things like reputation and, and trust, that is a much more difficult, non-tangible, or in some cases, element to kind of predict and to finance around or to put onto a spreadsheet. But I think that the more and more we talk about trust and we talk about the value of trust, whether it be short-term or long-term, whether it be economic or even the idea of impact on public health, depending on on the various parameters there. This is a conversation we need to be having more and more. And I, a lot of what we talked about is health related, but I feel like 
we're heading in a direction where it's becoming about much more than that. ESG is becoming a movement that is not just focused on investment, but it's become parts of ESG are becoming important to consumers as well. And as more data is available, I feel like this is going to become an integral part of the trust conversation too. So yeah, you go back a few years and when we have issues around buying sneakers and then believing that the sneakers have been created in in a way that's impacted forced labor or there's been forced labor or child labor as part of the, the supply chain. But for food, that is becoming an important consideration too. And if the data was available, the data is starting to become available, all those other parts of ESG become important too. So the emissions and sustainability piece of it is clearly number one. You know, I'm buying food and fine, it's all good and healthy for me, but what's the impact of the environment? I'm buying something with some tin in it. You know, has it been created with alluvial mining practices? Is that releasing mercury into uh, e- ecologies that um, mean that I'm destroying the environment by buying this product? You know, the labor practices around things that I'm buying or water management practices, all those kind of things. So I think that as we evolve from pure health considerations around trust, many more factors of ESG are going to become more and more important when we're sitting, figuring out which product we're choosing or figuring out which supermarket we go to or which restaurant we choose. Yeah, great point. I mean, if you look at the idea of how consumers are knowing so much more, they're asking more questions, they're finding out more about not only the food they eat, the products they purchase, but also the companies behind them. In many cases, there are elements that aren't necessarily just food safety related that are driving some consumers to say, look, I can vote with my money and I can go somewhere else. If I don't like your politics, if I don't like your practices, if I don't like your environmental impact, if I don't like how you treat people, you're you know racist or, or you're against this group of people or against that group of people, yeah. whatever it is that aligns with you. Are you an equal opportunities employer? Or exactly. Does your board um, constitution reflect my personal values? I think that all of this is starting to be part of the bigger picture of, of questions and information that are now impacting trust. Let's come back in a future episode here and talk a little bit more in depth about ESG and practices within the supply chain and you know dig into that a little deeper. Great. Thank you very much. Trust Bites 